Hey, uh, Mr. Parker here, or Dave Parker. Uh, I'm here just to let you know what this is. This is basically getting uploaded on the Shut Up Brandon podcast feed. There's going to be some other podcasts popping up here. Uh, Don't Bend the Page and uh, Late Night Rentals by Brandon Salkill. So there'll be some other stuff. Late Night Movie Rentals, I believe it's called. So there'll be some other stuff on here along with the Shut Up Brandon podcast eventually. But uh, this is basically going to be my YouTube uh, weekly show. Uh, Two episodes uh, cobbled together and truncated to uh, basically just talk about all the reviews in those first two episodes. And then uh, as it progresses each week, there'll be three and four, then five and six, uh, eventually until I'm caught up. And then I'll just do it uh, as, as I do the videos. You'll get an audio version of it as well. Uh, but I just want to say thank you for listening and be patient. The Shut Up Brandon podcast will most likely be back, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but there'll be some other episodes on here uh, of other from uh, Brandon and myself and maybe Dustin if he wants to do something. But uh, thank you very much for uh, listening and uh, have a good one. So let's start this out. Uh, the first movie I got to check out was uh, Vampire Journals by Full Moon. This one was made in 1997 by Ted Nikolai, who did, uh, you know, Terror Vision, which is great, and all the subspecies movies. Uh, Vampire Journals was one I actually never got to see when it came out. Uh, it was by Full Moon, of course, and this was kind of towards the tail end, one of their last, uh, you know, bigger productions over in uh, Europe, uh, where they had all that freedom that they used to have. So, uh, yeah, uh, Vampire Journals basically follows this torture vampire who... Uh, he didn't want to be a vampire. Think Interview with a Vampire on a lower budget. Uh, the narration is there. And to be brutally honest, a vampire journal setup and everything about it would be something that I would kind of dismiss or not like or not be interested in. Like, oh, it's this angsty, you know drama-ridden vampire movie that is uh, so melodramatic and annoying with narration. I'm just like, ugh. But surprisingly, Vampire Journals is actually one of those movies that's really well-made and is always entertaining. It keeps you interested. The acting's fairly good in here. Uh, The main good vampire, I guess I'll say the main character, I'm not necessarily a good guy or anything, but he uh, is from the movie by Mike Mendez, Killers, or The Real Killers. He's one of the brothers in that movie. which is kind of cool to see him in another movie. I, I thought I recognized him, uh, but maybe it's a little bit different, harder to recognize him with the vampire teeth in because it sticks out. But he gets infatuated with this uh, pianist, and this evil vampire does as well, and they kind of have this power struggle against them. Most of the movie takes place in this kind of a, this old, uh, I want to say casino, which is pretty cool. The locations are really nice. There's lots of good atmosphere. Uh, there's tons of nudity. Nonstop boobies popping out. Uh, on the disc, uh, there's a lot of, there's some commentary on here with Nikolai and Charles Band. Charles Band kind of goes into like the glory days speech talking about how different it was and how cool it was to make movies back then. And uh, he seems kind of thirsty, which is kind of funny. He's talking about all the women on there. He's like, look at all the boobs in here, Ted. This is the most boob ridden movie you've ever made. And uh, they have a good back and forth. Ted doesn't seem bothered by it. He jokes around with it. Yeah, but all in all, I, I was fairly surprised with it. Never boring, solid full moon movie. And uh, a vampire movie I didn't think I'd like, I was pleasantly surprised with. Uh, check out the trailer. Uh, and surprisingly, this one, you know, a lot of people will complain, well, full moon doesn't do good HD tra- uh, transfers. I think this one looks damn good, so check out the trailer. I am God's most desolate creature. From Full Moon, the creators of the subspecies trilogy, comes a new tale of the undead. Vampires are the spawn of many bloodlines. Some are monstrous creatures forced to hide their faces from society. Others are beings of age-old grace walking freely through the world of mortals. A fate of endless nighttime, an endless hunger for innocent blood.
Yeah, I mean, the trailer, I believe, looks just like the Blu-ray. I think you can see the grain. It looks pretty solid. Uh, the next movie I'll be reviewing is uh, Django Prepare a Coffin. This was a, a Arrow movie right here, and this was originally released uh, in the UK only. This is a UK edition, actually. Uh, but now it's uh, released here and widely available, same as Vampire Journals. So yeah, this is uh, Django Prepare a Coffin, uh, or Prepare the Coffin, a coffin. You know, uh, it's basically a take. If you guys are familiar with uh, the Django movie by Sergio Carbucci with uh, Franco Nero, it was made in 66, Spaghetti Western. There was all these unofficial Sequels, almost 66 or something like that, unofficial sequels uh, uh, made into that. Sorry about that, I'm getting a little sweaty here. Uh, almost 66 uh, unofficial sequels made to Django. Uh, this is one of them. Uh, originally, uh, Franco Nero was supposed to be in this movie, but it was not to be. Uh, What's cool about this, it does have some of the same similarities as Django, the damaged hands, the coffin at the end, the machine gun, and he's actually a hangman in this one, which is cool. It connects him with the coffin, unlike the first one, he just had this coffin. But, uh, yeah, uh, the guy who plays him is Terrence Hill, not his real name, it's his Americanized name. But, yeah, and the the main enforcer in this one is George Eastman, looking big and scary and rugged. Yeah, he's George Eastman is always great, he's always intimidating, and I always enjoy his performances. But he's uh, an enforcer in this movie. Essentially what happens to poor old Django here is he's uh, thought to be killed during a stagecoach robbery where his wife is in there. And uh, this upsets him naturally. He goes out and is looking to get back at the people who are responsible for it. He, uh, as being the hangman, ends up start to, starting to save wrongfully accused people, uh, and they play dead, and he takes them out into this uh, secluded area, and he creates his army of, like, phantoms. Uh, these phantoms uh, betray his trust, and they do something he didn't want them to do, so it kind of leads on the bad guys onto him, and he's also uh, kind of against the uh, phantom riders, so there's a lot going on in here. The ending uh, takes place in a cemetery, and it has a pretty cool showdown. Uh, it's not as good as Django or anything. It's a bit hokey, there's lots of punches that are psh, psh, you know uh the italian sound effects are always great especially the gunshots anybody that's seen italian uh films knows that i love italian films and uh I do think this one's solid. Not as good as Django, of course, but uh, we're checking out. There's uh, some moments of comedy as well, uh, hokey comedy with a parrot. Uh, the special features on here include, you can watch it in Italian or English with subtitles for both, and uh, there's about an eight-minute uh, kind of in-depth thing about the Django films uh, with an expert, and he talks about how this is similar to the old, uh, the original Django and all the other different Django's, and uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, I learned a little bit, and uh, you know, this is only the third Django movie, I guess, I've seen, uh, but <laughs> none of them are really official. Uh, there might actually be an official sequel later on, but check out this uh, video from Arrow that will uh, tell you everything that I just did way better. Who is he? A local hangman. Goes by the name of Django. Ah! <laughs> Whose grave are you digging there? Uh, the next one here we have is from Sub Rosa Pictures. Now, this is actually also released on Blu-ray. Uh, this is Cannibal Messiah. And somebody was like, man, you got to check out Cannibal Messiah. I think it's right up your alley. Uh, you know, Sub Rosa is a good company. They do a lot of cool things. This one has been recently released on DVD and Blu-ray, like I said. So I checked out the DVD. Uh, yeah, this is a German splatter, but it's more of a comedy horror than anything else. Uh, you know, think like uh, Dime Store uh, Peter Jackson is what I would call it. Uh, you know, there's something special about Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi and even J.R. Bookwalter that can pull off that kind of fun splatter stuff and, and get away with it and do a, a great job. Now saying that, uh, 
Cannibal Messiah runs nearly almost two hours long, and uh, for a low-budget splatter film, that's pretty rough. And especially, it's, it's a very self-indulgent movie as well. Uh, all the characters in the movie are always talking about Psycho... They're from Psycho Productions. The movie's made by Psycho Productions. The main stars are also the directors, and there's all these inside jokes. So much so that I think that there was a previous film that I didn't see. I don't know if this is necessarily true, and it goes into all this backstory, and they're talking about all this stuff that's previously happened, but... I have no clue what's going on. Uh, and also there's tons and tons of dialogue, which you mean you're reading subtitles, which is not the film's fault, but it's a lot, a lot of dialogue. So it becomes kind of an exhaustive experience, to be honest. Uh, the first half uh, is fairly repetitive. Everybody's doing that over-the-top cheesy acting. But they, they, they love what they're doing, and i got to give them credit for that. Uh, the second half of the movie gets more horror-oriented and, and trippy and weird. And there's uh, some moments of gore in here that are actually pretty good. The highlight in this movie is the gore. Unfortunately, uh, it's two hours long, and it, it, it's really hard to get through for me. Um, I did enjoy a couple of the gags. The intestine chasing was really funny, and uh, the guys are having fun. But uh, everything is on. Uh, uh, everything's handheld. Not that that's necessarily bad. I love handheld, but everything's shaky. Uh, there's not much professionalism going on here. But there's a lot of heart. But uh, sometimes heart is not enough for me. It's just not something that I really enjoy. I, I like the kind of straight uh, ho uh, campy stuff, not the over-the-top campy stuff all the time. Although it's hard to stay because I love stuff like Bad Taste and uh, Evil Dead too, and I'm mean, not Evil Dead too, but Army of Darkness that stuff that is a little over the top, but they're not oh so over the top. It's ridiculous. If that makes any sense to you, you guys check out the trailer and you'll see it. Uh, you know, you'll, uh, this, the trailer makes it seem a little bit more hardcore than it actually is. Uh, but the trailer on here actually looks really crisp compared to the DVD. So if, if it's something you'd like, I'd say go for the Blu-ray. But, uh, again, there's a, a hour and a 40 minute making of, which I did not get a chance to dive into, but that's a lot of stuff in here. So, you know, maybe that would have shed some light on here. There is, there's some weird gags and weird character quirks in here, but, uh, again, a little bit too over the top acting for me to get into it. Uh, and, uh, you know, weird wigs and nonsense and just, uh, I, there's a couple moments in here that I did like in concepts, like the tunnel. If you go into the tunnel and you go to the other side and weird alternate realities and stuff like that. I like that kind of stuff. I just don't like the getting there, is what I'll say. Uh, the next movie is actually, I got it in a box set. I've uh, been on kind of a Sam Peckinpah kick, but this is The Ballad of Cable Hogue. And this was, I mean, I uh, believe made 1970. Sam Peckinpah here. This is Jason Robars in it. Uh, Jason Robars is uh, Sometimes They Come Back, Once About a Time in the West. He's a he's a classic actor. And uh, this actually came in a Sam Peckinpah box set. This was just announced to get a, a Warner Archive Blu-ray, which is really freaking cool. I updated it. I bought the DVD set, and then I updated it on my HDX on Voodoo so I could watch in HD. Uh, let's get into this. This one is uh, roughly around two hours as well, but the cast in this movie is phenomenal. You got David Warner, Jason Robars, who I already stated. You got R.G. Armstrong, Slim Pickens, Strother Martin, L.Q. Jones, and uh, I believe I'm probably missing a couple people as well but uh you know it just has all these bizarre people in there that i love seeing uh you know rg armstrong is he's in a lot of stuff prune face predator he's in dick tracy uh predator stay hungry evil speak which is really cool but yeah uh this movie is bizarre it's, it's a comedy western drama movie uh and it, it Jason Robards carries this movie, man. Uh, not that he's the only thing good about it, but he is a he's a very interesting character and he's a very real character and he has, you know, flaws. He's not perfect, but he's interesting. Uh, what happens to him is uh, a couple uh, no-good guys leave him in the desert to die. They're traveling together. They say there's not enough water for all of us, and they leave him to die. And in the very beginning of the movie, he's wandering through and say, Lord, I'd really like a glass of water about now. Uh, but, uh, of course, he doesn't find water 
from the Lord, but maybe he does. But uh, he finds a watering hole. And uh, instead of, you know, drinking the water and catching a ride on a stagecoach, he realizes there's no water for miles here. So he goes into business. He opens up his own watering hole at that place and makes a name for himself. Meanwhile, he falls in love with a prostitute. But in the back of his mind is always revenge for the two men that uh, did him wrong, Strother Martin and uh, L.Q. Jones. So uh, eventually they come around. And I, without giving too much away, you know, things take, uh, you know, a turn. But uh, he is a complicated man and uh, he understands some things. Uh, it's a movie about masculinity and just uh, in some ways, you know, a lot of a lot of Peck and Paul movies are about masculinity. Think Straw Dogs and just that weird kind of feeling in there. But uh, the soundtrack is kind of uh, uh, very memorable songs uh, in there, uh, sometimes very upbeat. But the mo- the ending is, is so tragic. But the way that uh, this character in particular is, it, it's bizarre. But uh, David Warner plays this really creepy, pervy priest who's actually... Uh, one of the main characters, too, which is kind of surprising. Uh, he would play a pervert in another Peckinpah movie, Straw Dogs, uncredited. But, yeah, that's kind of a... It's a very interesting movie. Uh, it's a comedy, western drama, but it's really unique, and uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. i never seen anything quite like it. It's kind of strange how these old movies weren't afraid to have comedy in them, but without, without crossing that line to being stupid. It's just a little hokey at times, but still it somehow comes together and it makes this interesting movie that's entertaining on all sorts of levels. Ain't had no water since yesterday, Lord. Getting a little thirsty. Just thought I'd mention it. Amen. to get my dander up. Cable Hogue says, ask, and ye shall receive. Cable Hogue says, seek and ye shall find. Cable Hogue says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, that is the ballad of Cable Hogue. Then we have... A movie, I actually upgraded this on Voodoo, so I didn't get a chance to pop in the Blu-ray. I've had it for a long time. It is The Dirty Dozen. So this Blu-ray hasn't even been opened, so I haven't got to check out the features, unfortunately. Uh, but The Dirty Dozen, uh, yeah. Uh, I grew up watching The Dirty Dozen. I remember the first time I saw it. This was my grandfather's house I'm in. This is the basement. And uh, I live here now. But my grandfather has passed. And I watched The Dirty Dozen in this basement for the first time. I used to come down. I used to live down the street with my parents when I was a young kid, of course. And on the way to the bus stop, 
I go early a couple hours sometimes and just hang out at my grandpa's house, go in the basement, watch movies, play video games. And uh, I put in the Dirty Dozen down there to check it out. And it's a long movie, two and a half hours long. And uh, I remember I got right to the, uh, right when they were about to attack the Nazis and I had to go to school. And I remember running home from the bus ready to finish the Dirty Dozen. If you guys don't know the story of the Dirty Dozen or you haven't seen it, it's basically these 12 convicted men or damn men. They're convicted of military men. And, uh, they're either going to have long prison sentences or be put to death. Instead, uh, Lee Marvin is basically forced on this mission. He's a major to take these men, train them, and release them on the Nazis and kill as many officers as he can. It's basically a suicide mission. Uh, this movie probably has the best cast in it that has ever existed. You got Lee Marvin, Richard Jekyll, uh, Ernest Borgnine, Ralph Meeker, Robert Ryan, uh, George Kennedy, and those aren't even the guys in The Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen are Charles Bronson, Jim Brown, uh... Clint Walker, Donald Sutherland, John Cassavetes, Telly Savalas, uh, Trini Lopez. It's just an amazing cast uh, and an amazing movie. Uh, the first part of the movie is them training, introducing to the characters, and uh, you kind of you get a you get a feel for these people. You start to you know see their relationships and them bonding over you know the hatred of uh, Major Reisman, or then realizing Reisman's not necessarily the bad guy here. Uh, and uh, it's just a it's a great movie to be honest and. At the end, they go on the mission, and uh, it doesn't end well for the Dirty Dozen. But uh, like I said, Robert Aldridge did this movie. He did whatever you, uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane, and uh, he had to be one of the best directors ever because the personalities in this movie must have been impossible to control. To be honest, all these different personalities: uh, Telly Savalas, Charles Bronson, John Cassavetes, Lee Marvin. Like I said, Ernest Borgnine. The cast is incredible. The movie's incredible, and I realized something very uh, about this movie and about films in general while watching it. I don't need blood when they go off. When the squid, when guys get shot, as long as the movie's great, I don't care if there's any blood when the guys get shot. I always, I'm always, i a big squib guy. I love squibs. But I'd rather see no blood than CGI blood spray. That's just how I am. I don't know why. It's just I like it aesthetically without blood. I'd rather see the Zoom guys' faces getting shot. And, uh, and another thing about this movie is they care about their characters. There's no unceremonious deaths in here. When one of the Dirty Dozen or another character bites it, all the guys, they should, might be a two-second clip of one of the guys' faces being like, oh, no, you know, or move him. Don't let him lay there. Uh, but, yeah, just a great movie, and all the dialogue in the movie is priceless. This kind of dialogue with the characters and the quips and they come back with makes me laugh. There's so much more than a comedy nowadays. I find this kind of stuff funny, the witty humor, like I said in here with the characters. Lee Marvin's back and forth with Robert Ryan or or the stuff John Catavetes mumbles under his mouth when he's complaining or just the, I know it's not necessarily supposed to be funny, but Telly Savalas is actually scary and funny at the same time because he's so ridiculous in this movie. Telly Savalas is a maniac and I love it in this movie. But uh, regardless, the Dirty Dozen is an amazing film made 1967 and it's probably my favorite war movie uh you guys got to check out the trailer after this because it's a beautiful trailer as well major Reisman, you are ordered by allied command to select 12 general prisoners convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder rape robbery and other crimes of violence and you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. And the last movie I will be uh, diving into a little deeper is uh, Posse. 
by uh, Mario Van Peebles. Yeah, Mario actually directed this one. Yeah, Posse. I saw this movie as a kid uh, a lot. Love this movie. Uh, it's another Western movie. There's three Westerns in here. Oh, or two Westerns. Is there two? There's two. But yeah, or three. Three. Three Westerns in a war movie, man. Not much horror. Sorry, guys. But yeah, the Posse. Posse, I grew up watching, like I said, uh, made in 1993. I saw the Blu-ray from MGM. Uh, Dirty Dozen Warner Brothers. But yeah, uh, Posse. Uh, basically follows the story of a man who is forced into the uh, American-Spanish uh, War uh, for a murder, for revenge murder. And that's Mario Van Peebles, who also directed. Uh, and essentially, he leads uh, by, he's forced to do this crazy suicide mission by Billy Zane, who's his colonel, who also was in Tombstone around this time, which is kind of funny, completely opposite role in a, a different kind of Western. But uh, he realizes that he's kind of being backstabbed, and him and his group of men kind of escape. And uh, Mario Van Peebles leads him back to his hometown, uh, where his father uh, died under unfortunate circumstances, and he wants to get revenge for that murder. Uh, the cast in this one is amazing. It's got uh, Mario Van Peebles, Tom Lister, Stephen Baldwin as the only, uh, the token white guy for once in a gang, which is really fun. Tone Loke, who I love in this movie, he plays, uh, what is his name? Uh, man, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but he's probably one of my favorite characters in the movie. And it's also got Richard Jordan, uh, Paul Bartel, and a slew of uh, black exploitation actors in here, or famous uh, African American actors, which is really cool. Uh, you got uh, Isaac Hayes, Reginald Vell Johnson, Pam Greer. So uh, they definitely uh, kind of take that uh, Mario, uh, Mario Van Peebles, uh, Mel, uh, Melvin Van Peebles, Mario's dad's in it as well. So they take that kind of a uh, black exploitation and mix it with western, and uh, it's a really entertaining movie. Watching it was very bittersweet. Lots of action. Uh, it's a revenge western, which is one of my favorite like subgenres. Uh, the acting's top-notch. Uh, when the action moments happen, they're exciting. I get excited by them. So yeah, I would really recommend rediscovering Posse. I'm sure a lot of people saw it when it came out. It's kind of forgotten. I was excited to see that it was on Blu-ray. I completely forgot. But yeah, uh, during that time, there was a lot of cool late 80s, early 90s. Had some good Western movies come out. Tombstone, all-time favorite. Posse, uh, Young Guns 1 and 2. I know these aren't necessarily your traditional or A-list uh, Westerns, but even Unforgiven came out around that time. These movies, I think, are perfect movies to me. That's uh, Maybe not Young Guns too, but I just grew up watching and that kind of stuff and I've always enjoyed that kind of stuff. We got to go to hell. Someday. When you get there, tell him Jesse Lee sent you. Arrow releases, Arrow films, uh, still sealed. I watched the uh, check disc, but I'll open this up and show you guys it. Yeah, Slugs by Juan Pierre or Piquer Simon. Uh, you guys will know him. He did uh, Pieces and uh, The Rift, a.k.a. Endless Descent, which just got released by Scorpion Films on Blu-ray. So all three of his heavy movies that I'm familiar with have just got a Blu-ray release, which is pretty cool recently. Uh, Slugs, yeah. I remember seeing Slugs in, uh, there's this grocery store here called Myers years ago. It's been here, it's still here in the Midwest. And uh, they used to carry tapes and uh, Slugs was in there. I'm not sure if I rented it back then, but I do know for a fact that I saw the old Anchor Bay DVD when it came out, uh, probably in the early 2000s or so. Uh, yeah, but Slugs is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it's actually uh, one of those kind of uh, 
if you look at like the 80s and 90s when everyone was obsessed with toxic waste it reflects like the 50s radiation scare where it's like we meddled in science and now all these bugs and animals are giant and they want to kill us for whatever reason uh the toxic waste basically was in the 80s and 90s think the toxic crusaders or toxic avenger or ninja turtles or all sorts of crazy things like that toxic waste got somewhere and it made these mutated creatures no science behind it just kind of a you know to show that maybe the environment is important but also the entertainment industry saw it and they were like you know what we can do something with this so yeah that's pretty much that kind of thing uh slugs is actually a spanish or a, a spanish american co-production so it's got that weird kind of sense to it that unintentional comedy at times uh it takes place in a suburbs uh, the suburbs which kind of made me feel a little bit home i kind of made me relax and slip into it uh yeah it's, it's one of those unintentionally funny movies but uh the thing that uh really is great about slugs is the special effects special effects are amazing uh the time flies in this one as well uh it's never boring uh uh, it's just a lot, a lot of fun. It also has that uh, what's happening underneath the sewer thing going on, similar to Chud and Alligator, but instead of taking place in a big city, uh, it takes place in the suburbs. Uh, people start getting killed by these mutated slugs, and there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of great things that happen in here, including someone who accidentally ingests one, and uh, the little parasites, uh, blood flukes or whatever they call them, get inside his uh, bloodstream, and they're giant mutated as well. They're not giant, but they're mutated as well, so it causes him to kind of explode during a, a fancy dinner party when he's trying to close a deal. Uh, for some reason in this movie, nobody believes the health inspector. Uh, some of the people are dubbed, so it makes these really awkward, weird conversations. And there's dialogue hurdles when all these kind of Spanish and American movies are made. There's these weird dialogue hurdles instead. But it's all done completely straight in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm sure they knew they were making kind of a silly movie, but they were doing an always entertaining, competent job of it. But there's these weird kind of unintentional things that are really funny. And uh, that, that that unintentional humor I like a lot more than... Uh, I, I, I can see the heart and I enjoy it. I love watching it. Uh, than the forced over-the-top on-purpose humor. But uh, yeah, that's Slugs. It's loaded on this one. There's an audio commentary with a critic and a fan, Chris Alexander. He used to run an editor at Fangoria. And then there's one with Michael Felsher and the writer of the Slugs book. There was a novel called Slugs by an English writer called uh, uh, Hudson, Sean Hudson. And that commentary is really funny. Sean Hudson just pretty much degrades himself the whole time self-depreciation he does a he's, he's really funny and he takes a lot of jokes and he's very lighthearted about the whole thing there's interviews with an actor and the special effects artist who did a great job uh there's some miniatures in here which are excellent i didn't even know they were miniatures until the end with the sewer uh there's some other some other stuff going on in the there's a interview with uh i think it was a, a production designer he talks about you know the special effects used a, a piglet which is kind of a, i don't know if it was alive or not i don't really want to know during the graphic uh sex scene turned into double homicide by slugs which is really graphic and probably one of the best scenes in the movie uh you know but then there's uh the final uh special feature on here which i thought was damn cool was uh they had this old friend of his who production manager worked with uh uh simon really close and she shows the old location she used her hometown which i thought was great uh check out the arrow story video here uh for slugs uh you know, a, a blast. Just a really, really fun movie. And I don't think anybody ever would get tired of slugs, to be honest. It's silly, it's stupid, and uh, it's vastly entertaining.
See, good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Uh, the next one I'll be reviewing is Child Eater. Yeah, the title on that, uh, the cover. I had not really heard much about it. I saw the cover and I was like, you know, that looks kind of interesting. Uh, let's see what it's all about. Uh, yeah, it's actually done by, I believe, a Scandinavian director, Icelandic director, but I think it's made here in the States. I'm pretty sure. Uh, that's what I gather from the commentary. But yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised with this movie. You know, I've always been that type of one uh, person that, you know, I, I do like comedy in my movies, not the over the top. I like natural comedy. You know, like I was talking about the Dirty Dozen last week, how the dialogue in that movie's funny. There's also other funny scenes, but the dialogue's funny. It brings life to characters. People aren't so zombified throughout life, you know, uh, not to point names, but you know, like the Nolan movies, they always seem like the void of comedy. Uh, and you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't work, but in child leader, it's not a very comedic movie. It's very dark. It's very bleak and it works. Uh, we have this kind of boogeyman story about this, uh, weird old man who, uh, used to kill and kidnap children and rip out their eyes and eat them so he wouldn't go blind. Uh, there's definitely some weird history uh, with this town, what happened to that old man and uh, the policeman's daughter. She's babysitting this kid and of course, you know, guess who comes to get the kid is the old creepy blind man with these weird uh, goggles. What this movie does is it sets up lots of lots of really good scares, lots of good scary imagery, uh, you know, creeping in the shadow, taking glimpses of things here and there. I guess you would call them jump scares, but they're done very well and the uh, mythology of the character is actually really creepy uh and surprisingly this movie is gory and uh when it's mean it's mean people get killed and it's it's pretty brutal i actually caught myself jumping like a little like i don't want to use little girl but that's such an outdated phrase you know it's like little girls are more scared than boys everybody's scared okay but uh i just jumped like a little kid i guess i'll say yeah let's badmouth kids but just kidding you know but i jumped you know and I, I don't usually jump but it actually got me involving a bear trap here uh on the disc there's some deleted scenes they talk about why they deleted them uh and uh there's a commentary on here it is off a little bit it starts out sooner and you can kind of it's kind of strange kind of weird but all in all i i wasn't expecting much and uh child eater delivered it's creepy it has its good moments uh nice atmosphere and good mythology and i'm a sucker for good mythology well thought out things here so uh check out the trailer i'm sure there's some scary bits in there for everybody to you know dig into i saw him today an old man he's always there around the house in the woods Lucas? He'll sing you songs and tell you lies. Lucas? Helen! All he wants is to taste your eyes. So close and shut and run away. The next one I'll be reviewing is by uh, Richard Griffin. He needs no introduction to the... Uh, you know, the horror movie crowd. This one is A Long Night in a Dead City. This is his newest film. It's not yet released. It's going into selective theaters, I believe, kind of right now. And uh, there is actually a Kickstarter to help his next movie where you can get, like, not Kickstarter, but uh, a GoFundMe or whatever. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure on it. But below, there'll be some information. You can go help his next movie, Strap for Danger, and you can get, like, a T-shirt of Long Night in Dead City and whatnot. But uh, that's, uh, regardless, uh, Long Night in Dead City is uh, one of these strange films where you're not necessarily 100% sure what's going on. Uh, this young uh, boy is kind of like a young man is looking for his older brother. He uh, thinks he's at a, a movie theater. 
he's hunting for him, looking for him, and, and nothing seems right in this city. Everything is desolate. No, there's nobody around. Everybody seems so grief-ridden. Uh, there's lots of weird shots in here, lots of bright, nice colors, lots of nice framing. Uh, the camera moves when it should. Uh, they're not afraid to get a little weird with the camera. I always appreciate Richard Griffin's movies. He's done so many independent movies. You know, he's, he's one of the most prolific guys in this industry. Uh, independent industry, you know, uh, but yeah, the thing about, uh, long night in a dead city is, uh, I actually enjoyed the hell out of it, to be honest, in a lot of ways. Like I said, I enjoyed the camera work and I enjoyed the lighting techniques, which is something I always enjoy from Richard Griffin. Uh, the story is a, is a little thin and it's something that I have seen done, but not necessarily done by, in, in Richard Griffin's way. Uh, as the film progresses, uh, there's a, some nudity, some weird orgy scenes and all these strange things that you're really not sure what's going on. But by the end of the movie, they all connect and they have this dual meaning because these kind of, uh, reliving something, but, uh, in a different world. And one of the characters in the film gives this speech that pretty much sums up what you're, you're thinking about. But, uh, you know, uh, Richard Griffin always makes pretty movies with pretty people and this is this is indifferent uh it's kind of a cool unique idea uh not not my favorite griffin but uh, a cool one and i definitely would check out again would uh want to see it again but check out the trailer you'll see some of the you know the colors and the different uh camera techniques yeah uh, like i said i enjoy everything he does for the most part uh so yeah uh richard griffin's definitely one of those guys that uh you need to look out for because uh, he's done so much cool stuff there's a ticket Compliments of the house. The first film is just about to start. Don't be late. You want to know what the worst part of hell is? It's the part they don't tell you about. It's the part they lie about. And then you killed her. Killed her as she begged for her life. I've never, I've never seen her before in my life. You have to believe me. The last movie I'll be reviewing is uh, one I actually had never seen. Uh, none of these, actually, these are all first-time watches besides Slugs. But this is Charlie Bronson and Mr. Majestic by Kino Lorber. I've actually uh, never seen this movie. I had heard about it before. Uh, and I watched the trailer, and I always toyed with the idea, like, I need to check that out. I need to see more Charles Bronson, you know. That's why I asked the question last week, uh, what's your favorite Charles Bronson movies? I had seen some of the big ones and had a bunch of them, but I hadn't watched, you know, some of the other ones that I think are actually, you know, very popular. But Mr. Majestic was on that list to watch for sure. Uh, so, yeah, I put it in. Uh, this essentially follows the story of Charles Bronson, who's kind of, you know, a quiet, tough guy uh, with, a, with a soft side in there. And he's a watermelon farmer, and basically all he wants to do is get his life on track and uh, pull in some watermelons that he uh, that he planted. Uh, and he's trying to get this crew, and immediately he gets uh, trouble from the small town jerk, and uh, soon he lands himself in jail. Uh, this uh, has him cross paths with this infamous uh, hitman, and uh, they form this shaky relationship when he tries to escape. Uh, Charles Bronson makes the man angry in his way that he does, and uh, the hitman uh, swears revenge. He's obsessed with revenge, and that's when he brings in his goons, and he starts wa watching Charles Bronson's farm and roughing up his help and uh, threatening his life. Uh, of course, until it turns into this, you know, chase car movie action thing. Uh, Bronson is just one of those guys, like I said, he says four 
four words, and uh, it's all amazing. It's always amazing. He just has a lot of charisma. I love watching him. And this one has some cool action scenes in here as well. The guy who plays Frank Redna, the bad hitman, uh, he's one of those guys that's been in a slew of movies. I couldn't. I couldn't pinpoint him. I'm not even sure if I saw him, but I looked at his internet movie database. I had to, I kind of cheated. You know, I usually know this stuff, but I didn't know this. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff like Godfather and he died shortly after this movie, which is kind of strange, but yeah, kind of sad. Actually, he wasn't very old, 47 or so. I think he died in 75, but yeah, the guy looked like he was in a bunch of movies. And my favorite scene in the movie is when, uh, they're in the jail, and Bronson's sitting at the table and he's eating his breakfast and he looks over and he sees Frank Renda. He doesn't know who he is. There's no clue who he is. And he says, he looks over and he sees that he hasn't eaten his sausage. Doesn't look like he's interested. He's like, hey, buddy, you going to eat your sausage? And then uh, Frank Renda just throws a tray on the ground and he's like, what the hell? And then he's like, go for it. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And it's just really funny. He's like, guess not. Uh, but yeah, Mr. Majestic, uh, you know, a classic kind of tough guy movie. Uh, that I really enjoyed, and uh, Bronson's one of those characters, you know, he plays those guys that's tough, but uh, he's never cruel unless he has to be, and when you piss him off, it's game over. But uh, yeah, check out the trailer for Mr. Majestic, it's a classic, and I'm sure most of you have heard about it, uh, no more about it than me, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but you guys get it. Last year, Billy Jack became one of the most popular pictures of our time. Walking Tall was applauded by audiences across the nation. Now, Charles Bronson, is Mr. Majestic in a movie that touches the hero in all of us. Vincent Majestic was an ordinary man. He wanted to work his farm, live his life, mind his business. Hey, didn't somebody say something about a cold beer after work? But they wouldn't let him. Hey, I don't think I know you. Come over from La Hunter with some top hand pickers. Uh, are who I want. Yeah, well, you see, you want me. Only, it ain't sunk into that thick brain of yours yet. They frightened his workers. Tell them they don't work him anymore. You got two minutes to get the hell in your cars and get out of here. They tortured his friends. They do this to me. They're gonna kill you. They threw him in jail. You understand your rights under the law? I understand I should keep my mouth shut. They destroyed his crops. They forced him to become what he never meant to be, a hero. Why are they calling Mr. Majestic the one movie you must see this year? Ask anyone who's seen it. Anyone. Charles Bronson is Mr. Majestic in a movie that touches the hero in all of us.